to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I want to start off this episode by making a comparison to something in the past I think that we've all experienced to some extent, and certainly the rise and fall of a particular phenomenon and sort of a way of life, certainly in America, and I know that it's something that exists numerous other places throughout the world, but it has to do with the existence of shopping malls. And I think of the American education system and public education, so to speak, even at the college and university level, to be a metaphorical shopping mall. What we are seeing right now in education and have for quite some time is the slow disintegration of its need. And we don't need it anymore. Certainly not in the way that we once thought that we did. And, uh, and we were born into that matrix, without a doubt. We were born into that wavelength of thought. So, again, if you're anything like me, uh, having been born in the early 80s and then grown up in the 80s and 90s, when we were younger, the shopping mall was the place to go. It was where you got things. In fact, you were more likely to go to a shopping mall than you were an individualized store in a separate location. So if there was a shoe store somewhere else by itself, we wouldn't even go there. We would just go to the mall because you knew that there was probably something else that you were interested in getting. And then it was, I mean, it was almost a privilege to go to a mall. It, it certainly was. They were clean. They were big. They were nice. Uh, the prices varied. You could get things very cheap. You could buy things incredibly expensive. And you again, you could get just about anything. We even had one uh, not too far from where I live that had a giant arcade in it. And again, many of them had arcades. Uh, it was specifically called Time Out. And it was awesome. I mean, it had inside, there was a small little roller coaster on the inside. There was uh, Ferris wheels and I mean, there was all kinds of stuff, ticket games and counters where, you, of course, you know, you buy the bouncy balls and the candy and the whole thing. It was really incredible. And then, of course, we started to get older. And then when we were, I would say, college age, uh, the only reason that we would go to a shopping mall was usually to either buy a hat or a pair of shoes or maybe a jacket of some kind. And that was kind of about it. Not that that's all that we wore. I mean, that would be a weird look, walking around buck naked with just, you know, a coat, a hat, and shoes on. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, it just became more of a specific reason to go rather than sort of this broad sightseeing tour kind of thing. And then we started to realize, wait a minute, if you actually go to the source now with the internet and the rise of the internet, we, I mean, we all know that the internet, of course, put all of this out of business in the in the short and long term. But you could go to an individualized store then and find it cheaper than, say, at a shopping mall. So that's where people would start to go. That's certainly where we started to go to buy particular things that we needed more specifically. Now, of course, like I said, with the internet, you don't even have to do that anymore. You can shop around on the internet and find a variety of different things 
at uh, at remarkably low cost, whereas buying them somewhere else will be even more expensive, in particular in a specialized store of some kind. Um, I'm not saying it's entirely a bad thing because there's also a reemergence of individuals buying antiques and going back into antique stores and buying f- antique furniture for you know not a lot of money. Uh, it's been around a long time. It's well made. And you can go into an antique store and furnish an entire house for cheaper than you can going into an actual furniture store, so to speak. I view American education in that same wavelength, the exact same way that we have seen again the tried and true methods exist for a very long time. And then endless failed policies continuously be thrown down everyone's throat and have people still clamor for that to some extent. But with the invention of the internet and the way that it is, information is out there and it is free. Yes, it's censored on the internet, but once you come to that realization, you start to figure out where to find factual information. You start to, you start to learn more about what's real and what's not. And, and the part about American public schooling and certainly college and university education that I think needs to be addressed even more is just the blatant censorship, but it's also brainwashing combined with that censorship. The, the individuals teaching the subjects by and large don't know that what they're teaching is not the truth. They believe it to be true because, again, They were raised in the same systems we were, but it's just not. And I would say again that they have a shopping mall mentality still. The individuals that continuously believe that we need these education systems the way that we believe that they have to exist because maybe that's the way that we were brought up, that there's no other way. So these essentially are the individuals who still shop at shopping malls. These are people who try to find shopping malls in order to actually go there and buy something. They're the ones walking around a shopping mall that's practically empty looking for something to purchase because, again, this is where they go to get this done. There's a task that needs doing, and this is where you go to complete that task. That's just not the case now. With American education, the internet, just like shopping, destroyed the shopping mall. The internet has destroyed American K-12 education as we know it and actually given it new life in a new positive way that's inevitable that it would lead more people to the truth and truthful answers so that they, again, can do their own investigations on subjects and immerse themselves in subjects mentally and emotionally. Uh, and even socially, and then arrive at logical conclusions that maybe they weren't taught previously, certainly that they weren't taught previously. So it has to do with how you use the new environment now, and how is it that people use the new environment. So let me give you another example. One of the things that, again, I, I know that there are people that still go to the, you know stores and shopping malls and, and whatever else. I'm fully aware of that. But there's also another thing that takes place, and I've done this myself also, and I'm not the only one. But 
you go you you go to a particular store sometimes to just see what's available and maybe even if it's an article of clothing you go there to just try it on to see if it'll fit because you know that you can probably find the same thing online and if they don't have the size or something that you're looking for you can you can purchase it online let me give you again a, a rather specific example there's a clothing store that I that I haven't been in in a number of years now, but they make suits, and they make nice suits. I'm not going to say the name of the store, but they they have you know just nice suits. Uh, it's it's men and women's. It's a men and women's clothing store, higher end stuff, I guess. But I I've always liked their suits, and I've always liked their clothes, in particular again their suits. But I would go in there just to try just to try one on. And I would take pictures of the kind of suit and the name of the suit. And then I would take pictures of the size that fit. Because if they didn't have the size that fit me or in the color or the style that I wanted, then I would just leave. And they would always say to me at the, at the front, you know, at the front counter, because I would always ask just to make sure. I would ask and I'd say, Here's the style I'm after. I notice you don't have this size. Is there a chance you have one in the back? And they'll always go back and look. And if they don't, if they didn't have one, they would always come back to the front desk and they would say, "Well, we don't have one, but we can order one on the internet and it can be here for you." And I of course would just smile and laugh and I'd almost say to myself, "Well, I can do that." I was just asking if you have a physical one here now that I can buy here. I know the size and the brand. That I that, that I want or the style, I can I can leave now and just go do it on my own. I, I really don't need the store per se to do it for me. I can do it on my own. I just needed you to you know either provide a physical example or or don't. But I have all the evidence that I need. I have the I have pictures of the 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 style, the name, the size, et cetera, et cetera. So now it's just up to me, and I'll just go on your website and I'll buy it. And then it'll just show up at my house, and then that's it. If I have to make alterations to it from a size or a length standpoint, then I can go do that if, if necessary. But again, I, I view it, I view it like that. I view the education system just like that. There are again individuals that are married to the idea that you have to wake up, ride a bus, carry a backpack, uh, go to this building, be told what to think. Um, not question anything, certainly not question your teacher, and that there's no other way for you to acquire a degree or an accurate education. And that's just not true. It isn't true at all. Um, online education has proven that brick and mortar schools don't need to exist anymore. It's an old, it's just a, it's a caveman way of operating these days. And the online environment is the environment where people are getting more done, more accurately, and at less cost. It's not nearly as it's not nearly as expensive as brick and mortar schooling. Again, you pay in an online for, for an online degree in online classes rather. You're paying the class fee. There's no tuition on top of the class fee. There's no technology fees separate from the class fee. There's no room and board fees. There's none of that. 
And I might add, and this is a big, big deal, is that on university campuses, and I'm assuming it still operates this way, so if I'm wrong on this, I apologize, but the professors themselves will order books, and then you have to go to the local bookstore and then buy the books for the class. Not so in an online environment. They want you to acquire the books any way you can acquire them. Maybe you can, again, find it at zero cost, and you just download it to your computer. Maybe you go to a used bookstore with a list of books, and you ask the used bookstore people if they have these books on hand. And maybe, again, you can buy them used for pennies on the dollar. Because, again, it's the rare individual that's going to be buying brand new books from any, again, online bookstore or in-person bookstore for classes that you're taking in an online classroom. And again, I'm not saying that there aren't people who do that. I'm sure that there are. They're just wasting their money. They're wasting their money and they're wasting their time. Again, it's the shopping mall. It's still the shopping mall. It's still people shopping in the shopping mall and people aren't shopping in the shopping malls anymore. So I want to project a little forward here, and and I know that was a long rambling explanation, but I, I hope you get where I'm going with this, is that that's just one example of how something that was very old used to exist for a very long time, became immensely popular. A lot of people, again, thought that it was the thing that had to be done, and this is where you go to get these things done, and there's a task that needs doing, and this is how you complete the task. And as far as education is concerned now, that's just not the case anymore. It isn't the case at all. So, just like the internet killed the American shopping mall and the way in which people think about products and prices and and shopping, the internet has destroyed the American K-12 brick-and-mortar apparatus but bred new life and new independence into learning. Because again, if you don't believe that learning isn't a lifelong skill, look at what people do on a day in and day out basis. They're either on social media, they're on these video platforms, uh, they're on these chat boards, they're, they're, they're consistently acquiring information. I'm not saying it's all useful and I'm not saying it's all truthful. A lot of it's not. But the more and more you see, if you pay attention to inconsistencies or patterns of, of like mind, you can start to weed through what's real and what isn't. And that's remarkably important. But again, unfortunately, that's not something that the American K-12 brick-and-mortar apparatus has in mind. That's not something that they allow. They don't tolerate that kind of ingenuity and independence, so to speak. So the internet, again, has bred life into education in ways that um, are unavoidable. They're just unavoidable, and it's a beautiful thing. So again, making some predictions down the line here, also from a financial standpoint. I don't think for a minute that, as you've heard me say time and time again, that American K-12 buildings, with the size that they are and the way that they're running their business and the degeneracy and all of it, which I have many examples, again, I'm going to bring up in this episode, but I don't see them maintaining and being able to maintain 
all of their buildings within their districts. And this is a subject, again, that has been brought up in the past. Uh, Vanessa Hurst discussed this at length also in, in previous episodes when she was on. But American K-12 school districts are going to have to consolidate their buildings and the people within them. This is something, of course, that's already happening. They're already selling their schools. They're eliminating their schools. They're selling the properties that the schools were previously on. My prediction is this, and it's completely conceivable, at least in my head, that in the future, and I don't know how far away, I don't feel like it's that far away, but in the future, school districts may still exist, but they will be online institutions. Primarily, K-12 will all move to online environments, and there will be less instructors. Um, there may be the same amount of students, but there might be one or two buildings that exist within a district, and that's it. And those buildings will not be for the people primarily learning online. These will be buildings for individuals who are mentally and physically handicapped, and they cannot acquire uh, a any kind of a so-called education via using technology on a on a semi-regular basis they need the interpersonal interactions with adult individuals um and then those buildings themselves will also exist i think just as a location for people to go if they want extra help with something so if there's a student who's in an online environment and they can't figure out the answer to something or how to get something done, the building will always exist within a school district in an effort to, again, answer those questions or provide assistance to the student. But they're going, American education is going to have to move away from what they're doing now if they want to survive. You, of course, have heard me say this too. Their survival is not their priority, and it's just not their prerogative. They're not interested in surviving as a business, because if they were, they would be thinking about it from a business standpoint. You also have to, well, as a failing business, because that's what's going on, you also have to take into account the education of the people who are in the field of education and in the profession. These are not business majors. These are not uh, management majors. These are education majors. Almost all of the people within American K-12 schools have been education majors at some point or another. They might have a bachelor's degree in a specific subject, but then their master's degree is in education or special education or something like that. They're running the business of American K-12 education poorly because they don't understand business. And if, for example, the individuals at the top, again, state departments of education, state superintendents, whoever it is, if they know anything about business, which they typically don't, but if they do, then clearly not only are they running it poorly, but maybe they're intentionally running it poorly because they would be thinking about the parents and the students as being the customers, as you've also heard me say. And then they'd be thinking, well, 
they're not buying into our policies, so what do we do to satisfy the customers? Most businesses, if they're interested in succeeding, have to take things like that into account. What is it that the customer is interested in? Again, if you go to a hamburger shop, you don't serve sushi. You serve hamburgers. And there's a few things that typically go with hamburgers. French fries, onion rings, soda, water, beer, things of that nature. What we're seeing with education is that the people at the top running it or claiming to run it like a business are only inviting in one particular kind of thing on a constant basis. And the vast majority of the people within the so-called shopping mall that is American K-12 education aren't buying it anymore. They aren't buying it at all. And it's the majority of them aren't buying it. Now, yes, you're going to have these outlier schools where they're teaching these Marxist ideologies and the sexual degeneracy on a constant basis. Um, And the people who attend love it. The vast majority of the people who work there love it. The vast majority of the students who are going there absolutely love it. They can't get enough of it. But that's, that's not the majority. Not by any stretch of the imagination. So this is something that's happening again. That, that's basically, again, my prediction as to what I think is going to happen with American K-12 schools. It's not even that they have to replace it with anything. But there's still so many conservatives uh, and, and rhinos that, that are interested in saving it somehow. We have to fix our schools, they say, over and over again. It's exhausting to hear them say, we have to fix our schools, we have to fix education. No, no, you can't fix this. What you have to do is, is you have to completely remove it the way that everybody has thought that it had to exist in the past. It has to just be done away with. Because again, the answer already exists as to where people can go and what people can do. They're just too dependent on government to, again, either take care of the child or teach the child or raise the child or whatever's going on in the head of the parent. They're just still too dependent on that system. But it's, it's a failing system. Let me give you, again, another example. You've heard me mention this before. I'll keep bringing it up. And it just blows me away. Every time that I drive around this university campus where I live, uh, it just it, it blows me away. There are so many homes back when I went here at Miami University. There are so many homes now that are up for rent. And they're, they're for rent all year long now. There are for rent signs in these homes everywhere around the campus. These homes used to be packed with students, packed with them. You know, the the weather's still pretty nice outside. I mean, the sun is out, the weather's getting cooler. Uh, you You would still, I mean, you would see students on the front porches, you know, drinking a beer, hanging out, throwing a football, whatever else. It's not just technology that's driving maybe people indoors more. Or, you know, it's getting a little cooler out, so they don't want to be outside. I don't think that's it. I don't think they're here. I don't think the students are here. As you've heard me say, 
it doesn't pass the eyeball test. Look at the parking lots. The parking lots on these university campuses all around are, are, I mean, it's not that they're empty, but there's lots of spaces available. And again, when I was a student here, you'd sneak around campus in your car trying to find a parking spot to park illegally all the time. I did it constantly. But it was very difficult. It was difficult to find a, an open parking spot. Not the case anymore. There's open parking spots everywhere. And it's, again, students and staff. So they're down in staff members also. It's just very noticeable from, again, a basic eyeball test. You drive straight through town, for example, where, there, again, there are stores and uh, places to eat and places to drink. There's just less people. There's just less people. I would always encourage, again, people to go, you know, go to these, go to these places, wherever it is that you live, go to these places that, that in the past, you know, have typically been packed with people and just stay there for a little while and just look around, you know, one, two hours is really all you have to do or very select times throughout the course of a day. And I'm telling you, you're going to notice that there's just less people. Uh, it's a, it's a sign of the changing times. It's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. Again, I knew in 2020 when they sent everybody home and panicked and closed the doors, I knew that there were going to be a lot of paying parents who were going to be super pissed. A ton of them saying, I, I'm not paying for this. I'm not paying for you as an institution to make these decisions where we get to make these decisions about our medical freedom and where we can and cannot go. You don't get to tell my children who are attending a university campus that they can't leave their house if they're sick or that they can't have friends or family staying at their house if they're sick. That's totalitarianism. You're turning a person's home into their prison, and universities were doing that. So, of course, were K-12 schools. And then saying, well, once we tell you that you're, you, know, you don't have to go to this prison anymore, then you can come back into our classrooms, but you have to do what we want you to do all the time. Wear the mask, socially distance, blah, blah, blah. And they actually thought again, as a business, because they're not business-minded, they thought that they would still succeed. This also should show people how myopic their thinking is in the short term. They're not thinking beyond their hand in front of their faces. They can't see what's coming. Now, they know, these university campuses all across America know, that enrollment is down at all of their campuses. They know this, but they don't know why. They don't want to accept responsibility that it was their decision-making and that the Internet exists. Again, it blows me away. I'm just, I'm completely shocked that people are, I mean, I know that there's leftovers, so to speak, but I'm shocked that people attend brick and mortar campuses these days. Um, I know, again, if you have to be a lawyer or you, you, know, you want to enter, enter medical school, then there's no other choice really. But 
I wouldn't be surprised if that changes in the future too, regarding law school and um, and medical school as well. That it doesn't move into an online environment because it just—I mean—it almost has to. Because right now, again, just to sort of conclude this twenty-eight, twenty-nine-minute rant, um, it's the, the eyeball test does not lie. It just doesn't lie. Even Jesse James uh, hit me up on a text message the other day, and he said the camp, the the high school campus where my daughters used to go to school, the student parking lot is not as full as it used to be when they went there. There are less people there. And again, you know, homeschooling. Are they sick? Are they dead? What is it? It's got to be something, combination of those two. But it's it's happening. And again, this is a good thing. But the media apparatus is never going to tell anybody that. They're never going to say they're finding healthier ways to educate themselves and better places to go to school and, and attain knowledge. They're never going to admit that. So the eyeball test is a real deal. That's my point. And just like the American shopping mall, the American brick-and-mortar school is crumbling to the ground. And just like the American shopping mall, those buildings will be vacant. And then they'll have to get out from underneath them. And then, of course, I've already told you what I think is sort of the longer-term plan with American K-12 education. I really think that it'll end up looking like that, like what I just described a moment ago, uh, in the future, because they're not going to have another choice. So, yeah. I mean, they're doing away with their own line of work, as you've heard me say, without them knowing that they're doing away with their own line of work. It's, it's incredible, I think. Absolutely incredible. It is, I mean, they're shooting themselves in the foot in the middle of an ocean in a rowboat. And they're just continuously pulling the trigger. And they have no idea what they're doing. But the people at the top know. And that's, that's the sick part. The people at the top know that they're destroying it on purpose. Uh, because they think that it's not going to be replaced with anything that's better. You know, jokes on them. Better already exists. And it has for quite some time. It's just a matter of people waking up and figuring out what that is. Okay. I want to mention this uh, before I get into a few other things here regarding some degeneracy, although this is kind of funny, and uh, certainly in that same wavelength. I'm, I'm sure that everybody's heard of, of this Canadian, uh, Canadian shop teacher with the giant prosthetic uh, breasts and wig and, and whatever else, dressing up like a woman. I came across that story at least two weeks ago. And I put a video of it up on Gab. Again, this was well over two weeks ago. And I thought, I'm going to leave this one alone because there's no way that this seems real to me. It seems like something else is going on here. I mean, yes, we, we fully understand that, uh, that the left can, can take this to the nth degree as far as their degeneracy is concerned. But I came across this post, which was on 4chan, if I'm not mistaken. And it's thought-provoking, and uh, I, I also put this out on, on Gab, and I wanted to bring this to your attention too because I read this and I thought, that makes sense. And I thought, why, why not? Why is this not a viable explanation? 
So talk about uh, turning the tables on this entire story. Here's, here's how the post reads. It says, quote, and this was from uh, September 21st, just a, a few days ago. It says, quote, this dude is gaming the system. And Anon here yesterday was in this dude's class. This teacher was almost fired for, quote unquote, toxic masculinity last year, as well as not embracing woke culture. He'd drop red pills to his class, such as how silly gender-neutral bathrooms are. The school board hates him. He's now upping the ante to exploit the very clown world the school and society itself created. His long game is most likely to get fired and then sue for discrimination. There's no other explanation. No better way to troll clown world than to become an over-the-top caricature of a woman. Unquote. I, I pray to God that this is real. I pray to God that this is the actual explanation. That this dude, that that story right there that I just read to you is accurate, and that this guy is just trolling the ever-living hell out of the entire administration, school, all of it. It's brilliant, actually. It's brilliant. <laughs> it just, I, I, I think of it quietly by myself from time to time. I always smile, give a little chuckle, just like I just did. It, I just pray to God that this is actually the angle that is the truthful angle on this story. It seems incredible. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, there you go. Because uh, again, can you, can you imagine that person doing that on a consistent basis in an American classroom and getting away with it? I mean, we've seen how, I mean, it's possible, but we've, it's certainly not with a prosthesis the way that, the way that they are. I mean, that's just, that's hilarious. Uh, there would be way too many complaints, and of course, they would cut the person loose for creating an, you know, an unhealthy learning environment, which is a fireable offense. And we've also seen, of course, how a TikTok video done by a leftist will completely destroy their teaching career. They make a video talking about pronouns and trying to convince a, you know, a student to cut their genitals off or, or make up a fake name or what, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to do. Uh, and then, of course, those videos get passed around. The person's identity gets found out. They toss it up to the administration, and they cut that teacher loose. I, I think that right there is emblematic of the entire education system also in a nutshell, is that they're producing the very thing that they're firing. They're teaching young education majors at the university level that, the, that these kinds of behaviors are okay. And then they enter the K-12 apparatus as a profession, and then they get fired. It's just a perfect example, again, of how, how the proverbial pipeline isn't functioning at all. It's not functioning in any kind of a, again, to use their words, sustainable way. There, it's just not. It, it can't possibly continue to exist this way. Because if you're driving actual intelligent school teachers to troll you, which again, I hope is happening with this particular Canadian teacher. God, I hope it's happening. 
But if it's driving people to actually do that um, and, and just throw it right back in their faces as administrators, I mean, the business is gone. It's be, it's, it has become a clown world joke. And it certainly has been for a long time, but now it's, I mean, th- there's, no, <laughs> there's no getting it back. There's no level of apologies or, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. We're just going to go back to the way that things were back in the, you know, 1950s and everything will be just, you know, hunky-dory. It's just not going to happen. It, it just won't. Um, here's another story. And again, shifting gears slightly just to sort of provide this quick little update. The New York City Trinity School gal who was caught on the Project Veritas video, again, talking about White privilege and promoting an agenda about uh, you know singling out whites and this that and the other and yeah so she got caught of course on video and she's apparently been fired which shocks me I mean I'm actually shocked normally what would take place in a situation like that is uh, the administration would do whatever they could to run cover they would say we've disciplined them they've been warned. Uh, you know, they've never behaved like this before. We were disappointed in the video, but we're not going to fire them because, again, they would circle the wagons around one of their own. However, this is what the left also does that the right also does because it's more of a human behavior than I, I think a, a political ideology is that even if an individual happens to be on the left, talking about their leftist school and the leftist people who run it and their leftist ideologies, that if public exposure is so high, they cut them loose because it's not the ideology that they, di- that they disagree with, and it's not what the teachers said that they really disagree with. It's the public exposure that they don't like. So they fired this Jennifer or Jen Norris gal because she was reckless and got caught. It's not because of what she was saying or doing. That's not it. Of course, they say that to the public because they don't want their enrollment to decrease and their funding to decrease or whatever. Of course, schools like that that have been around for so long that are so private in wealthy areas, they're not going to have funding problems because they always have to keep their indoctrination camps intact. But again, at first I was shocked that, that she got fired, but then I thought, well, no, it's about image protection, so I guess I'm really not, I'm not entirely shocked. Again, they're sending a message not just to her, but to the other members of that school, because theoretically, it could have been anybody who works in that school building, including the administration who got caught on camera. It could have been any of them who got caught, because they all share the same ideology as uh, this Jennifer Norris gal did, so or does. So that's, you know. It's not. It's not because they're a bad person. It's they got fired because they they were reckless and careless. But again, as I said earlier, this is exactly what the American university teacher education system is producing. They're producing the kinds of teachers that can easily get fired, and clearly not thinking, um, and loose lips sink ships. So there you go. But uh, I've got three quick uh, three quick stories here. With a nice little wrap-up, I think, regarding a lot of this sexual degeneracy stuff. And as you've heard me say in previous episodes, it's not a new thing. Um, 
there are new stories, of course, that, that bounce around on a consistent basis, but even those aren't new. They're just new to the particular area. And the, you know, the, and then, of course, the people who live in that particular area are shocked that this kind of a thing exists. But I want people to understand, again, the larger picture here, and, and it's really two points. Number one, all of this is about grooming children sexually. It's about the, it's about the K-12 apparatus grooming children sexually. And it does not matter where the school is or, or where the district is. There are still going to be people within, again, even individualized teachers themselves, who are grooming minors, male teachers, female teachers, for a variety of reasons. Some of them groom them toward, again, the, um, the LGBT alphabet soup agenda, and some of them groom them so that they can physically have sex with the student. There, there, are, there are multiple reasons, but it's all the same perversion. The the question that I have is is the following. When are the police going to start being called on school teachers and administrators for sexually grooming minors? Again, I am not a lawyer by any stretch, but it's my understanding that a law is being broken, at least one, if you're leaning minors toward sexual content as an adult. Again, I could be wrong on that, but I just have this feeling, having not read every law book or even looked up the law, that this seems illegal, which then, of course, raises this rhetorical question, and you know the answer to this also. What is it that the American K-12 school system would do to get around any illegality regarding a policy? And what they would do is, is they would make their policy law. They would try to go through the state legislature to make it law that a particular subject or subjects need to be taught within a K-12 school. I see this continuously happening over the course of, again, the coming months and the coming years. And this is happening, I might add, in also Republican states. Again, we've seen the increase of the social-emotional learning, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and all of that nonsense. That's what all of that is. It didn't used to be. The social-emotional learning thing at its, at its very beginning was different. It was understand the environment of a K-12 school is dangerous, so how is it that you navigate that environment so that you can learn the most that you can learn without being distracted? That initially was what a lot of the, the, the first wave of social-emotional learning was all about. It was about learning about the school environment itself. And I was kind of involved in that very early in my career by, by telling students, look, this is not a safe environment. Avoid these places, avoid these people, pay attention, have your head on a swivel, that kind of stuff. Um, Early on, again, it is an, at its inception, there was no sexual overtone at all to uh, the social-emotional learning information, so to speak. It, of course, turned in that direction because uh, misery loves company. And when diversity, equity, and inclusion and, and all, this, all, all these other uh, social-emotional learning programs ramped up 
and started to enter school buildings to sort of gain compliance among minors who were, you know, not paying attention in class or uh, had bad grades. And they just decided to start playing games and dishing out prizes for every, you know, stupid little thing that a student would do. That's where it all became liquid. And it all became exactly the same thing. So here's one example. And this happened again about an hour and a half from where I live, made, made national news. Uh, the likes of even Chris Rufo touched on this. I think Libs of TikTok did also. And this was, again, tossed to me by a listener of the show. So again, thank you for, for sending this my way. Uh, this is from NBC4 out of Columbus, and it's in Hilliard. And again, Hilliard is a, is a suburb on the east side, I'm sorry, west side of Columbus off of uh, Interstate 70, but um, it's titled the following, LGBTQ plus inclusion debate erupts in Hilliard schools. This had to do with, it has to do with a badge, a safe person, safe space badge that is worn by some of the Hilliard City school teachers. Um. On this badge, however, there's a QR code, and the QR code then takes individuals to a particular website where there's a resources toolkit, and it says here, with tabs on topics like bullying, coming out, gender identity, hate crimes, and sex education. And then it says, after choosing a subject, a list of links pops up with the articles covering that topic. The the defense that the school district brought to bear, which wasn't a defense, was that the badges weren't for students, that they were for teachers, and that it was a resource for teachers to click on so that they could find more information. That, of course, is ridiculous. That's the most bullshit explanation I've ever heard or rationalization that I've ever heard. It's not true, and if that were true, then why don't teachers walk around with their contracts around their neck? attached to a lanyard of some kind. You know, it's for teachers just to remind themselves about things, and that's just what it is. That's, that's not the point. The point, again, is always to turn the teacher into a billboard of nonsense and, and messages and degeneracy and whatever. Gimmicky t-shirts. I mean, we've, we've been through it. You know, Black Lives Matter and LGBT whatever and Look at my safe, you know, I'm a, I'm a safe person in a safe space badge. It's the same crap. It's just recycled in a different way in order to, again, target minors. So they knew full well that minors would walk up to the badge with their own cell phones because almost every kid in a school has a cell phone. They scan the, you know, they, they scan the thing and then they're off and running on, uh, you know, potentially considering chopping off their genitals. I mean, wh who's to know? Or, you know, starting a clique where they start to think that they're gay when they're not, you know, for, for attention-getting purposes. The entire thing is unhealthy. None of it has to do with education. And it's just another angle, again, to groom people toward this ideology and, of course, normalize it as, as much as humanly possible. What's interesting, too, is, is that Schools themselves always have opt-out forms for this kind of information, and Ohio law says 
that that minors don't have to be subjected to this kind of information whatsoever. But if you make it a badge that a teacher can wear if they choose to wear it, and some will wear it, um, it, you know, that's a way to get around those particular laws because you're saying, well, I'm not teaching it, but there's a badge here where, you know, a minor can learn if they, if they choose to do so, but that's up to them. It, it's, it's creating, it, you know, it's putting people in, in a corner where you're seeing all different sides of the battle. You're seeing the people who are playing the game. You're seeing the politicians trying to cover their asses. You're trying to see the, the school administration cover cover their backsides with the you know same nonsense explanations as before, um, and and it's the student and the minor in the middle who is who is becoming confused with the way that again they're being treated, and the parents of course are being cast aside because no one cares about the parents. Again, that's what this great awakening is about. You're seeing that the American you know education apparatus does not care about parents. Because they believe, as you've heard me say, they believe that they are the parent. That's why they call your children kids. Because they believe that they are, in fact, their own kids. So this is what they're going to teach their kids. It's also worth noting that Hilliard, Ohio is a growing area of Ohio. It tends to be middle to upper middle class. And again, these ideologies can find their way into these environments that may even be more conservative than what people might think. You know, they hear about this going on in the school where, where they live, and they say, well, wait a minute. This is a pretty conservative area. Why is it that the school is, is doing this? Well, what, what kinds of people do these schools attract as employees? Again, they're attracting the left. So it's almost as if. These schools, again, operate as their own governments, which they do because they are, and they operate as their own countries or their own, their own states, their own property lines. Well, what goes on here is our business, and we don't care about the surrounding area. This, again, is a, is a prime example of why these are not business-minded people. We're not talking about, again, the smartest lot that society has to offer. We aren't talking about the sharpest knives in the drawer. You know, you watch any of these board meetings, they're incredible because the school board members are all hanging their heads, parents are shouting at them, and they were in, in the Hilliard district also. The board members, you know, and the superintendent and the treasurers and, and, and these people who sit at these tables in these board meetings and, and they're getting screamed at for their terrible, stupid policies that they're putting forth and, and their awful, again, ideologies and agendas and perverse agendas, they all look like dogs who are having their noses rubbed in, in their own urine stain that they created. But they aren't learning. They're just not learning from their own decision making. And they do it time and time again. And then, of course, what do they do? Well, they call us domestic terrorists. They call concerned citizens domestic terrorists, and we're the problem. Democracy's messy sometimes, and that's just the way that it is. And, and they, of course, say that and create all these leftist explanations as to why people are upset, and they still don't know. Again, ladies and gentlemen, they're not business-minded people. They don't care about the customer, and it's a shopping mall. 
It's just a shopping mall mentality. People don't like shopping malls typically anymore. They don't go. Uh, but this next story here, again, this is the workaround. This is the one thing that, unfortunately, these, these leftist politicians are doing to make this degenerate stuff policy is you just make it law. This is coming from Not the Bee. Um, and it is titled, New Jersey Department of Education Threatens Teachers with Discipline if They Refuse to Teach Children About Anal Sex. It says, if you haven't heard, in 2020, the New Jersey Department of Education has adopted the most perverse sexual topics as academic standards in their schools. It says, and now, the Department of Education has issued a statement that teachers that don't follow the standards will face disciplinary action. This is my point. This is the workaround. Shop at our shopping mall and buy our product or else. That's their approach. But again, much like Ohio and other states, there are opt-out forms that even exist by law within New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, where again, parents can have their children removed from subjects or topics of conversation that have to do with, with all of this ridiculous degenerate nonsense. So. It's a pretty awful state of affairs, I think, when you have to fill out opt-out forms to remove your child from the very environment where you're sending them in the first place. Awfully telling, I think. I just think it's awfully telling. Okay, I, I want to end with this. I wouldn't normally read an entire Substack article. I certainly don't read uh, my Substack articles on, on the show here, but I do want to read this one. I found this one kind of funny, and I agree with it. Because again, it has to do with all of these sexually related badges and pins that people wear. Like I said, you know, school teachers dress themselves up in flair all of the time, and it's embarrassing. They're walking billboards of degeneracy in many cases. But uh, I do want to read this entire one. This was from September 22nd, and it's from the Substack that is titled Pit or P I T T Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans. Hilarious. Uh, th this particular article, again, from September 22nd, and it is titled, Your Pronoun Badge Tells Me You're Okay with Sterilizing Autistic Kids. Yeah, I agree. It's, again, it's giving people away as being groomers and borderline pedophiles, if not actual pedophiles. So here's what it says. It says the following, quote, Dear teacher, principal, music director, barista, checkout clerk, and bookseller, I think I know how this happened. You probably had a diversity, equity, inclusion workshop or a colleague or a woke friend or a passionate niece tell you that this was a nice thing to do. I even had one of you tell me directly that, quote, this is a small way to create an inclusive and nurturing community by affirming and supporting students of all genders, unquote. So you put on your pronoun badge and added she, her at the end of your email signature. There you thought, I'm a kind person. And I sincerely believe that your intentions are good. Somewhere along the line, you heard the trans kids commit suicide at higher rates. You saw a TV show where a trans character or actor was tragically heroic, misunderstood, and noble. You saw a soft focus ad campaign about a little trans girl who just wants to play sports with the girls. Aw. 
you probably got a student, family member, or neighbor kid who de- who declared they are trans and is screaming things like trans rights and human rights, quote unquote, and clearly distressed. Seriously, if adding a pronoun statement to your email signature somehow helps those unhappy kids, what kind of cruel brute wouldn't do it? So I get it. You think your pronoun introduction, email signature, video conference name, and badge signal that you're nice and inclusive, but actually they show that you're okay with sterilizing autistic kids. I would. I don't know why it's so specific with autistic kids. It's it's uh, they're they're fine being pedophiles, but I, I see what they're saying. It says what? Huh? How? I'll take this slowly, so pay attention. When you add a pronoun declaration, you are saying that, and then there's a variety of numbers here. Number one, despite any scientific evidence, I believe in the idea of gender identities. There is no science that shows that people have an innate sense of feeling of gender. No brain scan, no blood test, of course not. Gender identity is a feeling, an idea about whether and how much you feel like a female or a male. Do you feel like a person with AB blood or a person with who is rather 5'9"? No, you just are. But yes, I think people feel female or male or neither or both. Number two, some people, again, this is what the badges are telling people, they say, and they're right. Uh, Number two, some people have gender feelings that are different from their physical bodies, and that those gender feelings trump their body's physical sex. How they feel matters more than their body, and society should label categorize them as the feelings desire. No longer do pronouns refer to someone's actual sexed body, an observable and incontrovertible fact in 99.999% of cases and testable in other ones, but how to know they feel an unobserved an unmeasurable idea. I'm okay with changing the meanings of pronouns because feelings are more important than reality. It says, note, realistically, calling someone by the opposite gender pronoun, or they, them, doesn't actually move them into a social category of the opposite sex or some third sex. Not for any useful pronouns like friendship, dating, athletics, or sexual partners. It just puts them into a category of quote-unquote too sensitive to face reality, treat with kid gloves, and are mentally unstable and possibly suicidal. They might have a weird kink fetish. They're probably super obsessed about one's aspect of their life and kind of boring and weird, unquote. Believe me, outside of high school and the anthropology and gender studies departments, no one sees an opposite sex they-them pronoun signature line and thinks, ooh. Now that person is magical and extra interesting. I can't wait to get to know, hire, date that person, unquote. We think next. I love this. It's it's true. This is number three. If feelings matter more than facts, then transforming the sexed body to better match the gender feelings makes the best sense. Taking puberty blockers and or cross-sex hormones or ongoing surgery to stimulate the appearance of sex characteristics like breasts or facial hair or penises makes sense. Trying to question, alter, or evolve feelings to promote self-acceptance of the physical body isn't worth trying or exploring. Number four. Again, this is what the badges are telling people. 
Even though transitioning the body from one sex to another isn't actually possible, I'm okay with people doing that. No matter, no, no amount of cross-sex hormones will transform a penis into a vagina or vice versa. Surgery can remove breasts, labia, clitorises, vaginas, ovaries, fallopian tubes, uteruses, penises, scrotums, and testes. Plastic surgery can try to fashion pseudo-penises from chunks of thigh or arm tissue or pseudo-vaginas from inverted penises or lengths of colon. But these are not functional organs. Even the most sophisticated surgeries and drugs cannot transform the DNA coded into every cell of the body. Sex can never change, but I'm okay with acting on fantasies and feelings. Number five of what the badges are telling people. Even though attempting to transition the body from one sex to another isn't healthy and increases suicide, I'm okay with people doing that. Puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones in surgeries are bad for bodies, really bad. Brain polyps, anergasmia, infertility, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, cardiac damage, diabetes, infections, death. Scientists and doctors know these approaches are bad. Sometimes a patient reports the results were worth it. But we know that transitioning actually increases rates of suicide. I'm okay with those negative consequences because feelings are more important than reality. Number six. Despite the fact that historically, most of children, typically boys with gender dysphoria, outgrew it and became gay or bisexual men, I think we should reinforce these young boys' false belief that they are actually girls by using preferred pronouns. Remember, feelings are more important than reality. Reinforcing the idea that a boy is a girl can lead them to social and medical transition, but that's not my problem. I'm okay with sterilizing gay boys. Number seven. Despite the fact that the present wave of teenagers with gender dysphoria has disproportionately high rates of social isolation, anxiety, depression, ADHD, and autism, I'm okay with permanently damaging and sterilizing them too. Even though typical teenagers can't be trusted to vote, smoke cigarettes, or drive a rental car, I believe they socially, I believe these socially isolated, anxious, depressed, ADHD, and autistic teenagers are somehow extraordinarily mature and I'm okay with them making these sorts of life-altering decisions based on their feelings, because feelings trump the body. And finally, number eight. So yes, I'm totally okay with sterilization of autistic children, really, any kind of people at all. Giving people time to mature and grow just isn't wise, right? Since we all know feelings trump reality. Go ahead, no skin off my nose. Well, thanks for clarifying where you stand. You're so kind. Unquote. It's 100% true. The people that align themselves with these ideologies wear all the garbage, the badges, the necklaces, the t shirts, whatever. Everything that I just read and everything that was written in that Substack is 100% true. These individuals are supporting all of that. Again, they compartmentalize and rationalize all of that away. Can't, can't deal with facts. We have to deal with what people feel. And if they feel like killing themselves, well, then that's okay. If they feel like cutting their genitals off, well, then that's okay. Shopping malls, ladies and gentlemen. All of this is just a giant shopping mall. It's becoming more and more vacant with every passing day. 
The campuses are getting smaller. The student enrollment is dropping. And there's going to come a time, and it's already happening, where less and less people want to be school teachers and even touch this profession with a 10-foot pole. They already don't. I'll catch you on Wednesday, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.